0: Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on
1: QSportstalk.com. The reason we're doing Johnny Cash Day today is because this album was recorded on this day. Folsom Prison Blues. Johnny Cash, I've been enjoying this. Yeah. Are you you saving his one number one for the next segment? It was number two. Oh, number two, but his highest charting song. I've been enjoying uh, Artist of the week uh, Day this w- week because I'm learning about artists. Like, yeah, this is a little I, bit out of our wheelhouse. Yeah, I'm introducing Johnny Cash to people had no idea what One Direction was. I didn't hate it. Yeah. So, Johnny Cash, Artist of the Day. All right,
2: so with that, let's bring on our final guest of the show, final guest of the week. We are pleased to be joined by the voice of the Fighting Irish, Tony Simeone, uh, is with us. Uh, Tony, thanks so much for coming on. How are you today?
0: Uh, I'm doing well. I appreciate you guys saving the best for last. Looking forward to chatting with you.
2: That's right, indeed. Uh, All right, so we saw this matchup back on December 3rd, and at the time, Paulie and I said... That was a good win for Syracuse. Notre Dame is pretty good, you know. Veteran team. They they got J.J. Starling and, and a whole bunch of uh, you know veterans in their lineup. Um, and and we thought that that might be a quad one win at the end of the day. Uh, and and then Notre Dame in the ten games since three and seven, uh, they've beaten Georgia Tech, Jacksonville, and Boston University. So what has happened mm-hmm. since Syracuse last saw Notre Dame?
0: Yeah, it's it's a great question, and I think that game's kind of been a, an inflection point for both teams. I think Syracuse is 8-2 and two since that game, and Notre Dame, as you said, 3-7, and seven, and really no <clears throat> high-caliber win. Now, I will say, you include that Syracuse game. They lost that one by a single point. They lost to Florida State by a single point, and they led against Boston College at the final media timeout. So there, there's a glass-half-full outlook on this where you can talk yourself into the fact that it could be 4-2, and two, but we know... Every team in the country can also probably do that as well. So the fact of the matter is, they're they're one in five, and they've just I think the biggest issue they've had this season is they've struggled to really string together consistent offense for 40 minutes. They will look really sharp, uh, even the game against Georgia Tech. They had to win in overtime the other night. They they looked good for the majority of the game, but they still had I think an eight minute field goal list drought at one point in the game. So it's been something they're constantly working on. But what's really, I think, held them back from from maybe beating some of these teams that, as you said, we thought at the beginning of the year they'd probably handle a lot easier, uh, has been just an inability to score for 40 minutes at, at a reliable basis.
2: All right, so one uh, player that kind of surprised us in that first meeting was Nate Lashevsky, who, you know, he was one for six from the field, finished with two points. He is this team's leading scorer. Um, you know we don't expect that he's going to put up two points again tomorrow inside the dome it, you know i guess bring us through his season to date and uh you know i guess was that an outlier that two-point performance against syracuse and and, and how has he been so far this season yeah overall it's
0: an outlier he's been in double figures i think all the maybe five games this year i don't have it in front of me right now but He's been really sharp. He's, he's kind of a guy that I think that plays really well against certain matchups, and maybe he has to take a different role uh, against the zone. I think, frankly, the zone, um, they, they did not do a great job of finding him a lot of clean looks in that game against Syracuse. As you said, one for six. Usually he's shooting it a few more than, than six times Uh, Missed a couple open threes in that game. Against Carolina just uh, last weekend, he had a great game. He was 7 for 10 for for 20 points against a really good Carolina team. So you expect him in double figures. As you said, he's their leading scorer at 13.5 a a game, and he shoots over 53% from the field. But he didn't look comfortable, obviously, in that Syracuse game. And I think, frankly, if they're going to win tomorrow, they do have to find a way to maybe get him some cleaner looks Against the zone, but candidly against the zone last time they looked okay early on. And as that game wore along, I thought the zone gave them a lot of trouble. And frankly, Nate was one of the guys that couldn't just quite get into the rhythm that we normally see him in against a more traditional defensive matchup.
2: Alright, so he's leading the team in scoring. I want to ask you about the, the guy who's number 2 on the list, and, and that's the local uh-huh. product, J.J. Starling, uh, star at Baldwinsville. A lot of people thought he was coming here, and, and instead he goes to, to South Bend. He's playing at Notre Dame for Mike Bray. Uh, can you kind of bring us up to date on, on what his season's been like, and maybe what his ceiling is there uh, in a Notre Dame uniform?
0: Yeah, I'll start with the, the latter of those two. And I think the, the, the ceiling is, I mean, it's incredibly high. I think he hasn't even scratched the surface on where he can be. And I don't know what his you know career trajectory is going to be as far as how many years on campus. We all know we can always speculate at the end of every season. Uh, everyone here is hopeful that he's around for a long time to play a lengthy career at Notre Dame. But the fact that he's already, you know, the second leading scorer, as you alluded to, I'm looking at the numbers right now. He, he leads the team in field goal attempts. And I think that one thing that um, when I look at him is that last year, Notre Dame had Blake Wesley on this team, who is a one and done freshman who went to the NBA and they really relied on him late in games. They would just give Blake the ball. They would spread it out. And it wasn't Blake always scoring, but it was him getting to the rim, even just putting it up on the rim and somebody would clean it up or finding guys for open looks. I think they want JJ to do something similar but they've got, you know, he and Blake have different skill sets. And I think it's been a process for him to really understand exactly how and when they want him atta- to attack late in games. But we saw it against Georgia Tech the other night, late in the game, he had the ball, he got to the rim, got them a huge basket in their their late minute comeback. Um, and I think that as the season's gone along, he's looked a lot more comfortable out on the floor playing with this team. It's a really unique spot because he's a, he's a true freshman playing with a bunch of twenty three and twenty four year olds, and they're asking him to do a ton, and I think the older guys get a lot of credit for bringing him along and putting trust in him, and I think kind of the next step is for him to maybe late in games recognize, hey, I'm the best option to get it done in crunch time. Let me go make the play, and these guys will be ready to support that in whatever way they have to.
1: How is this season playing in the fan base out there in Notre Dame? And, 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 you know, we get calls on Coach Beheim every day. What is the take (laughs) on Mike Bray?
0: I think that the the fan base is, you know, football's king here, right? So I think that basketball always has maybe a more tepid response, good or bad, uh, just compared to football, because everything is about Notre Dame football, as you'd imagine. That said, it's a really historically successful basketball program, and that's been under Mike Bray for the last now 22 and a half years, the all-time wins leader here. I think that there's obviously always going to be fans that grow tired of things and the way they're going right now, one in five of the conference. I don't think anybody's happy. And they're disappointed because I think they thought that they'd be right back where they were last year, a couple minutes away from the Sweet 16. Now it looks like it might be a really long road to make it back to the NCAA tournament. But I think the more level-headed fans, and I think those are usually the least vocal fans, obviously, as you guys know, they, I think, understand that there's still pretty much half the season left. Mike Braves coached all kinds of teams around here. A one-in-five start in the conference is not the end of the world. And with a veteran bunch, there's no reason to think, especially when you look at the schedule they have in the month of January, that this team can't get back right into the middle of the conference with, with one month left to go. And suddenly you're, you're in a position that's not too far behind where you probably thought you could be in this season. And I think that ultimately uh, a level-headed fan is not going to write a season off halfway through. I think most of them are willing to watch this season play out and see how this
2: this thing goes the rest of the way. Tony, I, I find myself asking this question to a lot of our ACC-related guests, uh, and that is, you know, who is the best team in this conference? And I realize that you guys haven't, you know, seen Virginia up close and personal yet, Duke up close and personal, but you've played Carolina, you've played Miami, you haven't seen Clemson yet, um, but I'm, I'm sure that you're, you're watching games. I mean, do, do you have a feel? I mean, we're halfway through, Syracuse is more than halfway through its season. Do you have a feel for who the best team in this conference is?
0: I have no clue. And I, I think that's a good thing for the conference. I mean, the fact that we wake up and it's Pitt and Clemson at the top and uh, they're really sharp, I think that adds great parity to the league. Of all the teams we've seen, uh, it's been Carolina, who I know had that weird stretch of where they lost four in a row. But they just, I mean, when, when they're at their best, and I think we all saw it last year when they went to the, the championship, they've got so much firepower and they can do it in, in such a unique way that just really can put you on your heels. I think when the dust settles, who knows how the regular season is going to play out and how even the conference tournament. But they, to me, based on everything I've seen, still strike me as the best candidate to make a deep run when March rolls around. Um, But obviously, I have liked what I've seen from Virginia when I've watched them. I I think they just – I love their brand of basketball, as unique as it is and as as frustrating as it is to play against. I think when you have a brand like that that's so reliable – um, it travels well. It, it's such a weapon I think they have. So one of those two teams, probably when I watch them, whether it's on TV or then having seen Carolina in person, they stick out to me. But, but I think it's pretty clear at this point, the, the way things have, have gone so far this year, it doesn't really matter what I think or anybody thinks. Uh, I think this conference season is going to play out clearly in a way that we did not anticipate coming into the year.
2: Yeah, it does seem very much wide open. I asked you that question about who you know about JJ's ceiling. It, it does seem like Carolina's got the highest ceiling. I, I would agree with you, uh, especially based on what we saw uh, last March. All right, let's uh, let's circle back to tomorrow night's matchup inside the dome. How, how do you expect this game to, to play itself out, and, and what are the keys from a, a Notre Dame perspective?
0: Yeah, I'm really interested to see how Notre Dame responds. You know, They're 9-3 and three at home this year, and away from home, four road games, one neutral site game, they're 0-5. And, <clears throat> and last year when they finished second in the conference, they obviously had a lot more success on the road, and that's really, I think, where they managed to get themselves into the tournament with some, some key road victories. So, you know, we can talk must-wins all you want. I mean, you can't really declare a must-win in the middle of January, I don't think, but this is as close as it gets to them considering where they'd be if they fell to one and six, if they can get to two and five, then they're going to feel like they have a chance to get on a run. I think the key for them, I think they were 11 for 33 from three against the zone. And when I talked to to Mike Bray before these Syracuse games now for, for two years in a row, he's pretty candid about it, That you know, you got to do, you know, things to kind of break up the zone, get the ball to the high post, get your looks inside. But he just also concedes. You have to just make some threes over the top of the zone. So I really think keeping an eye on what Notre Dame shoots from three, 11 for 33 wasn't good enough this year. They shot the same number last year and it was good enough. I think a great goal is can they get to 12 or more threes? I thought they missed some pretty good looks against Syracuse. Um, but I think that's just always, I mean, maybe it's, it's a lazy uh, assessment because of Syracuse always running that two, three zone, but they just did not look comfortable the first time, even though it was a one point game and a close game. Um, I think if they can manage themselves against the zone, they'll feel like they have a chance. And then you mentioned the guy, Nate Leschewski is kind of the guy that he, if he has two points, again, I don't feel very good about. If he gets into double figures around his average of 13 and a half, I'll feel pretty good about their chances of playing a close game and, and possibly getting out of the dome with a win.
2: Yeah, I, I think this is a tricky game for Syracuse. I know that you know locally we're looking at it as, man, they can't lose to Notre Dame, but – you know, it's all about matchups, right? And and this this could be a tricky matchup for Syracuse. I do have one more for you, uh, and and that's that's Jesse Edwards. Uh, you know, twenty-two point sixteen rebounds in the first meeting. That was his best game of the year uh, for Syracuse to date. Uh, he's a problem for Notre Dame. I mean, you know, he's he can be he can be physical. Um, you know, when he finishes around the basket, he's very effective. And and Notre Dame doesn't really have a you know, a physical presence down low to necessarily push him around. Is is he the biggest problem when you look at how Notre Dame will combat what SU likes to do? Is is he the biggest issue, or is it, you know, Joe Girard and and, and the guards? No,
0: you're, you hit the nail on the head. I, I probably should have mentioned Edwards when we were talking about the keys because he was dominant in that game uh, on December the 3rd. I, you mentioned that, 22-14. I think at the time it might have been a career high in points, Um 40 minutes too. they I know I read a fouled out quite a bit last year they couldn't really get him in foul trouble because as you said they don't have a true post presence or low post presence on either side of the floor like they did last year in Paul Atkinson who is you know maybe not the, the strongest defensive player but he was at least a body you could throw at Edwards and then also make him work on the other side of the floor if he got it in low I think yeah he's a massive key in this game I think can you find a way to get him in foul trouble is huge As it relates to the perimeter, and I think Gerard had a really good game last time. I think he broke out of that slump he was in with with 20 points. Notre Dame actually, I think, guards the perimeter pretty well with Cormac Ryan, who's one of their better defensive players. So I think, of course, Gerard, you have to account him. But going into this game, I'm much less worried about Gerard than Edwards because beyond Nate Leshevsky, uh, there's just not a lot of experience up front. Van Allen Lubin, who's a freshman, they're really excited about coming off an ankle injury. So he's he hasn't played in a couple games. And then you got Dom Campbell and, and Matt Zona, who have given them some really spirited minutes, but they've been spot minutes, you know, three, five minutes a game here and there. So there's no true big man. To match up with Edwards, and he he very well could be a nightmare tomorrow.
2: Yeah, he, that was a career high—the twenty-two points. That is still a career high, and there was, it's the only game in his career he's played all forty minutes. And I would I would venture to guess I don't have this in front of me. I know he had zero fouls in that game. My my guess is that's the, yeah, the, first, the first, time that first, ever first and only time that's yeah. ever happened, where he had yeah. zero fouls in a game that he actually played—you uh, know—starters minutes.
0: And, and it. Speaks to something that Notre Dame struggled with, and that's just getting easy baskets at the rim and, as a result, drawing fouls. They're one of the better sh- uh, free throw shooting teams in the country, but to your point, you know, as you mentioned, he's, he has a high proclivity to give fouls. They have to find a way to get him in foul trouble so he then can't be quite as dominant on both sides of the floor, on the glass. As you know, you get a big guy in early foul trouble, it totally changes the way that he has to play, and also that the way that Coach Beheim has to, to manage his rotation. So I think he hit the nail on the head. They have to find a way... Listen, if you can't foul him out of the game, put him in a position where he's got to think twice more than he did in South Bend because he just had his way when he was here uh, about a month
2: ago. Yeah, he went into that Notre Dame game having fouled out of the two previous games and then uh, and then zero fouls against the Irish. 7 o'clock tip uh, tomorrow night inside the Dome. Tony, thanks so much for the time. Have a Have a safe trip here, and hopefully we can talk again soon.
0: Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate
2: it. All right. Uh, there he is, Tony Simeone. And, uh, I thought you were going to do it, Steve. No, no.
1: You were going to tell bait. him to have a good time. Have a good, good time. You, the you, you can do that. You can you do that. You teased me. By the way, three of the last five Notre Dame games have been within a bucket of them. Yeah. 62-61, last game. Uh, in 2021, or 2020, 84-82. The other game that year, 88-87. So. This is a tricky game. It
2: really is. Uh, you got Miami coming up in you know forty eight hours later. This is a game that you should win. It doesn't really help your resume. You have but it to hurts win. you if you lose it. it. And and we know the way Notre Dame likes to play. And, and they shoot a lot of threes. Everybody can shoot threes. It's it's it has the potential to be dangerous. Uh, we'll,
1: yeah. We'll come back. We'll wrap up our show, Steve. We'll do uh, it. It's basically become the last segment. Jordan kicks himself out, and then I let you guys pick the next artist of the day. All right. We will do that next on ESPN
2: Radio.